Welcome to In the Gutter, a podcast that is all comics, all bangers, all the time, with story expert Lonnie Diane Rich and superhero scholar Joshua Unruh. One of the hosts has read almost no superhero comics, and the other has read almost all of them. We'll let you sort out which is which. And now, In the Gutter. All right, so for the last couple of weeks, I have been listening to one album almost exclusively, uh-huh. and it's The Fault of Thor Love and Thunder. <laughs> we'll explain this. Have you been to see Thor Love and Thunder? I have not, no. Okay, you're you're probably fine. Okay. Like it's okay, but it's not it's not lighting my world on fire. You know, it's fine. Uh-huh. Um yeah, it's like two movies smashed together that have no business being together. Mm-hmm. But uh, the half with Christian Bale in it kind of makes me wish that I could see Taika Waititi like channel some Guillermo del Toro. Oh, like, do really? Me, mm-hmm. Do me some weird fairy tale <laughs> shit. You know, scare me, mm-hmm. Taika, scare me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the thing is, they play Guns N' Roses songs through the whole movie, and it's wow. fine, mm-hmm. right? It's it's like I like GNR. It's good. It's classic shit. I'm I'm into it. Mm-hmm. But but it doesn't fit. In the same way that like the synth and then immigrant song fit in Ragnarok. Like mm-hmm. it's there and it's fine, but it doesn't just like seamlessly fit. And then the credits roll and these bastards have the audacity to play Dio's Rainbow in the Dark over the credits. And as soon as the credits start, I'm like, you guys knew you fucked up and didn't have the courage to go back and fix it. You should have been doing Holy Diver for this movie. Not... Guns and Roses. So I have basically been nonstop spinning Ronnie James Dio's uh, Holy Diver for like two weeks. Wow. And I am not much of a metalhead like at all, but it was, yeah, it was. Well, every uh, now and again, you get in a mood, you know? Yeah. So that's great. So, yeah, it, yeah. If it helps at all. I don't know any of the music that you just mentioned. Like, you don't know. You definitely know Rainbow in the Dark. You're just not thinking uh, of it. Maybe. Like, like I know. I, I know kay. Guns and Roses. Like uh, take me down to the Paradise City. Right. Like I know that. I know. Sure. Basic. Yeah. Very Welcome to basic. the Jungle. Welcome to the Jungle. Sure. I know like the basic Guns yeah. and Roses stuff. Um, I know Axel. Right. Axel Rose. Sure. And then there's what is okay. And now, Slash. Slash. Okay. I was gonna say Flea, but Flea is. Uh, the other one. Red Hot Chili Red Peppers. Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, I don't know anything. The other one? What does that even mean the between other... Red Hot Chili Peppers okay, and Guns N' Roses? the other guitar player with the weird single name that isn't like a regular name. Oh, not like The Edge? I don't know who The Edge is. <laughs> oh my God, he's in U2. <laughs> okay, look. You talk feel... to me about 1980 soap operas and this whole thing will be reversed. But like, yeah, I don't know this stuff. No, yeah. I, look, I don't really care for you 2 You just seem like someone who would listen to you 2 to I me. Don't, I don't know why I feel that I way. Don't. Did I ever tell you the story about how a... <laughs> I was driving down like the road of Poughkeepsie. I was like 17 years old. And, um, you know, like driving this old beat up car because that's how you do when you f- get your first car. Yeah. Um, and I'm going down like Route 9 in Poughkeepsie, New York. And all of a sudden this car, like this car, like not a police car. There's no thing. Just comes up on my bumper. Right. And um, and I'm like, OK, this is really like and I just keep going down and he doesn't pass me. And like the guy, there's a man, like a single man in his 40s. I'm 17 waving at me from this like brown jalopy. Right. Um, And so he he drives up next to me and he's like, hey, you know, pull over. And so like an idiot, because the <laughs> Internet didn't exist Yikes. and I didn't know all of the cautionary tales like Somebody is telling me to pull over. I'm like, oh, I've got a flat tire. He's trying to tell That's me something's figure. wrong with yeah. my car, right? Um, but also at the same time, I'm also like, and this is how I die. Like this is mm-hmm. the story of the end of me, right? So I pull over, and then this guy is like, yeah, I work for K104, and um, you have a K104 bumper sticker. And so the promotion that we're doing is that if we see anybody with a K104 bumper sticker out in traffic. We give you a prize. And I'm like, I've just won a prize. Definitely going to die. Like the only thing, yeah. the only thing this guy was missing was a white windowless van. Like everything else was absolutely right, I was about on to point. Say. 
And so I was I'm like, at a radio okay. station and I have a prize for you is the 17 year old equivalent of would you like some candy? Exactly. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. But I'm sitting there, right? You know, uh, like trained to be meek and just like, you know, assume everybody's fine and just listen to authority figures and whatever. Right. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, OK, so he goes back into his car and instead of jotting out into traffic and getting the fuck out of Dodge. I sit there and wait for him to come back and kill me, right? So he comes back and he hands me U2. It was whatever, whatever, uh, you know, album was out at that time. I can't, I can't Joshua Tree. It was Joshua Tree. That's what it was. Oh, hands sure. me the cassette tape for Joshua Tree and is like, hey, have a great day. And the thing is, is that had I been like at all aware of my surroundings or not trained to be meek and docile and let people murder me when I was 17, um, I would have immediately called up the radio station and been like, what is your fucking problem? Because you're pulling over girls, children, driving cars out in the middle of like, that's and who thought this was a good idea? Who thought that you should send a middle-aged man out into traffic to stop people in traffic who have the bumper sticker on the car? Like it was just a really, really bad idea. So I have to say, like, I'm gonna be honest with you, I have blamed you two for that experience ever since. Like when I see anything a U2 related or anything, when Apple forced that album on us in Apple Music some years ago. Like, I get filled with this, like, impotent rage whenever I engage with you two. So, like, I'm not, like, anybody out there is a U2 fan, like, it's fine. It's personal trauma. It's got nothing to do with, like, the actual quality of the band. I'm not commenting on U2 as a quality band. I'm just saying that, like, some promotion and marketing ideas really super bad. Like, not thought through at all. And, and it, what's fascinating is you bring back the high-tech equivalent of that. <laughs> Because, you know, you're pulled over by the side of the road because that's how it worked when you were 17. <laughs> and then X number of years later, I ain't making any guesses or saying it's like Apple Music is like, pull over. We have some U2 for you. <laughs> I mean, I guess that's how and you're you like, successful. well, at least I wasn't in danger of being murdered. In, in this know. particular instance. But man, I, you know, it was funny because I had to do some unpacking because when Apple like forced that U2 album on us, I had this like weird rage about it like i was so angry and then realized of course that it, it relates back to that fucking traumatizing experience of being certain i was going to die and yet when he left and went into his car not driving away because i was afraid of being rude like that's there's wild. so much to unpack there like there is so <laughs> much to unpack there but uh, but probably instead of that we should talk about jla all right, everybody, start playing uh, Rainbow in the Dark right now while I do this summary and also while you read the issue because I did that yesterday and it literally enhanced my experience. Okay. In JLA number two, The Day the Earth Stood Still, the Hyper Clan has created three very public Earthbound outposts on top of the hidden orbital base, and public opinion continues to turn against the Justice League, largely due to the mind control the Hyper Clan is broadcasting. The JLA splits into smaller units to deal with each outpost. Wonder Woman meets up with Aquaman, and the two put their own bickering on hold in order to set a tone for negotiations with the Hyper Clan. Unfortunately, after a good showing, they're taken out. Green Lantern, Flash, and the Manhunter from Mars head to the Gobi Desert, but the Manhunter goes missing. GL and Flash are left to deal with Zoom, Armek, and Zenturian. They get off to a very rough start. Meanwhile, the missing Manhunter is in space talking with Protex about turning traitor against the League. Protex seems to feel they have some kind of kinship. Batman and Superman head to the Antarctic, where Batman is presumed murdered by the Hyper Clan and Superman is taken captive due to kryptonite. Protex is convinced the Justice League is dead, and even if Batman survived, he's only human. Now it's time to kill the Man of Steel on international television to fully break the spirit of planet Earth. Well, okay, so here we are with another issue of JLA. And while I, I will say that I am clinging to the back of a speeding jet ski with like eight fingers still like, you know, fully engaged. Um, I, I'm into it. Like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm actually like really interested in this uh, in this this issue and all the stuff that's going on. Uh, tell me your your opinion on this issue, like your overall impressions. Well, 
I mean, it's my favorite stuff for a reason. I mean, you know, like, again, it's made in the lab to delight me. Can I separate me from this issue? Like, okay, I'll talk to you kind of where, first of all, let me say, I've seen your notes. You're doing terrific. You, you know exactly what's happening. You know, I know exactly uh, they what's were nice enough without, to give you title cards. Knowing I know exactly what's happening. Yes, they did give me title cards, which I deeply appreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, very good stuff. Um, but like, from a story perspective, and this is the thing you and I talked a little bit off mic, so I'm sure that it'll come into this, but like from a story perspective, uh, it's doing the stuff that it's supposed to do. Yeah. Like the JLA all looks really cool and competent, mm-hmm. but we also have established they're coming from behind, so it makes sense that they're beaten. Mm-hmm. And there are these little lines and moments, and I mean, we're going to talk about a bunch of them, because one thing about JLA is, I don't want to say that it's lines and moments strung together. It's more like... Um, peaks and bigger peaks Mm -hmm. and the peaks are very good they're the kind of smaller character things that give shape to these moments and lines that are just like boom so yeah it's i love it i love it this is exactly where i want to be you know (laughs) so tell me so tell me about barely hanging on when i'm looking at your notes feeling like you're 100 on no this is the thing like we've had this conversation now two weeks in a row where i'm like i have no idea what's going on everything is insane i have like i can't follow anything and then you're like nope nope you got it so i mean like i'm picking up on the big movements i think part of it is that this is my first encounter with jla so i am definitely diving into the deep end like this is not a gentle movement mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. JLA world, right? Um, so there's that, you know. Um, but like, so overall, like, I'll, I'll be reading something, and I'm like, I don't know who the person is that is, you know, punching. Like, I know it's all the hyper clan. I know who Protex is. The rest of them, I'm just like, well, here's the guy with the skull face. He's death guy or whatever. And then there's the <laughs> blue boob lady, and so like stuff like that. I'm like, I don't understand exactly who these villains are and what their powers are and how they engage. Um, the thing, honestly, that is keeping me like keeping those eight fingers on is the presentation of vulnerability. Like last week we had yes. Green Lantern. This week we have Superman. Um, you see that vulnerability coming in and you're like, okay, so here are these super people, which, you know, expressed to us as like these, these ideals of, of, you know, I mean, yes, not, not textually humanity, but humanity. A lot of them are alien, you know, you've got that kind of mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, humanity, yeah, yeah. like these uh, these human ideals of goodness, you know, the, the fight for the good fight, even when everybody is shitting all over them. And yeah, we know that's because of mind control. But still, like my understanding is that the JLA, like the Avengers, does get shit on, you know, a, a map because th- th- they screw things up. Like they'll try, they're doing their best, but they're not always doing things like, you know, the way that everybody would want them to. Um, you know, like Spider-Man is constantly getting shit on, um, you know, like in his mm-hmm, his world mm-hmm. and all that stuff like heroes do they go out they do their best they try to save everybody and then like nobody appreciates it so that's kind of fun um but overall like i i feel like i'm hanging in there it's just that i also yeah, feel totally. like there's a lot of stuff flying past me and i glance at it and i'm like well i see that there but i simply do not have the time to try to wonder about it <laughs> because the jet ski is moving and it will go without me. Like if I stop for a minute, it will go without me. Um, one of the things that I did appreciate about this is the title of the issue, The Day the Earth Stood Still, is a reference to a 1951 sci-fi movie in which aliens came to the Earth and said, Klaatu Barata Nikto, uh, or something similar, which is all I remember from the time that Mr. Kuhn, my 10th grade English teacher, made us watch it in our literature and film class. Um, so that's some interesting, you know, Lonnie Diane Rich trivia out there for anybody who's going to trivia night at their local bar. I'm sure that eventually will come up. Um, but overall, like, I really like this issue. You know, um, we're going through all the attempts to take these guys down. Uh, we've got the little panels again that I appreciate where it says where, who everyone is. Um, I love the introduction <laughs> of Aquaman, who is like, fuck all y'all. I am not interested in your petty little bullshit. You know, so I really enjoy that. Um, and we end on like this huge escalation. I mean, just like, you know, talking about JLA, about like everything being dialed like dial to 11 for jla is is phoning it in right i can't even think of the number that they're (laughs) dialing it to we are so spinal tap would be looking at these people and being like hey chill you know um so we just keep escalating and we have this huge escalation 
everyone in JLA is, let's say, quote unquote, dead. I do not believe for a minute that they are actually dead, but they do appear to be dead. Uh, Superman is the only one left standing. He is taken with the kryptonite. And my presumption is that if they wanted to kill him, they would kill him. But they're weakening him to take him in because they need something from him. So, I mean, that's my presumption. I don't know. I haven't read ahead yet. So I'm. No, you're right. They need the spectacle. The spectacle. They they need yeah killing Superman on screen is the last is protext doesn't say it quite this clearly but that's what they're doing is we will fully break the spirit of humanity when we kill their greatest hero in front of them on live television right yes um one thing I want to point out that you caught that I really like this issue is the day the Earth stood still the last one was them Mm -hmm. the next one is uh, War of the Worlds right I'm forgetting what the fourth one is but they're all classic science fiction movies Uh which is kind of fun and aliens come to Earth please right yes yes Mm -hmm. and also they're very 50s Cold War yeah Uh, now them is about an atomic test that creates Mm -hmm. giant ants Mm -hmm. but but it's still of an era that's evocative of a thing that I feel like I should mention more next issue Mm -hmm. when we find out more about who the hyper clan really is so let's please remember this conversation so that I can point out the 50s Red Scare sci-fi movie tie-in yeah I love uh, it that will make sense next issue 100% yeah 50s like sci-fi horror movies everything like some really interesting shit going on um in those stories and i find them like i'm sure that somebody has you know has has dived dove in dived anyway dove i don't know into like i don't know what it is um i don't know what the past tense it's, of dive is. It, uh, both are correct we're trending towards dived okay we're <laughs> trending towards dived thank you very much i appreciate that because sometimes i have no idea but i'm sure somebody has gone deeply into um you know what the 1950s sci-fi and horror movies actually meant to the psychology of like in, you know mm-hmm. in america these movies that were made in america um what what it said about the american psychology at that time, you know, and I, you know, seeing all of these and the fear of the other, you know, being so deep within American mm-hmm. psychology at that time, um, I find it really kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, I, you know, I'm in, I'm in, I like, it. I, I appreciate the fact that like, you're giving me credit for catching things and that I'm basically, you know, on the jet ski and that's great. It does not necessarily yeah. feel like I'm on the jet ski. It feels like I'm I'm barely hanging on to the jet ski. But that's mm-hmm. part I feel like that's part of the experience. Okay. Like there's okay. a real mm-hmm. there's a real part of that that's even true for me like mm-hmm. like no um and, and Morrison is very good at this and has done this in uh his uh has done this in their Batman mm-hmm. run in Infinite Crisis in action comics they did kind of of a Superman year 1 thing mm-hmm. in action comics. Um there's it's sort of no matter how much you know it feels like you're not catching everything. And that's part of the fun. I, I think I've mentioned before uh, reading the book, All the Marvels, mm-hmm. where the the author reads every single 616 Marvel-related comic from Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider-Man, through something like 2016, I wow. guess. Something like mm-hmm. that. And then tries to treat it like one story. And the thing that he points out is... That's first of all, that's wild. That's bonkers. You can't actually do it, even though that's kind of what they want you to do. But one of the reasons you can't do that is everything feels like it's in media res all the time. And he goes, that's a feature, not a bug. Mm -hmm. Like you're either in for that or you're not. And the thing that he pointed out that I found fascinating is if you go back to like Fantastic Four number four. So there have literally been five or six issues of anything called Marvel. Mm -hmm. It already feels that way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, so like. In some of the bigger, best shared universe superhero stuff, that's the you should feel like you're missing something, right? Not because the story is poorly told, but because the universe is vast and expansive, and that's part of the fun. And if you stop to explain everything, you will do nothing but explain everything. Like you know, at at a certain point, like the backstory, the history for all of these things is so incredibly complex that this is yes, absolutely yes. like the the scenario for learning how to tell your exposition walking, how to skip the stuff that truly doesn't matter, how to drop context clues and say, hang on, 
this is where we're going. Don't don't worry about it. I got mm-hmm. you, you know. Um, and I think that when you are reading something by, you know, like a skilled storyteller like Morrison, like Brubaker, um, you can do that. Although I will say that Brubaker, while I was like, wow, this is super efficient exposition. I can't believe he got it. Like the fact that he paused to drop some exposition <laughs> now to me like this is perfect i'm so glad we read brubaker first and then followed up with jedi uh-huh. because i think that they have such interesting contrasts and i would say that they are both different choices that you can make i think that no exposition jump on the jet ski or land in the water is kind of jla brand like it feels to me like mm-hmm. a branded decision you know that these aren't this isn't a failure of storytelling this is a choice in storytelling And I think one of the things that makes that so interesting, especially as somebody who teaches storytelling and is constantly telling people to cut as much exposition as they possibly can so that your story can Mm -hmm. move like this is the like that advice, you know, taken to a thousand like that is just exponentially Mm -hmm. that advice. And what happens when you don't do any exposition at all and let people just pick it up and move with you? I think it's really super interesting and I'm enjoying it a lot because I'm used to, you know, in most of the stories that I interact with, probably too much exposition, you know? So, yeah, I like it. Yeah, there is uh, a a a word that I uncharitably used for some recent superhero fiction Mm -hmm. is that it was delivered to me (laughs) pre-chewed. And I stand by that. Uh, We'll talk about it Uh some other time because I don't want to start some business. Mm -hmm. But this is not that. This is more like super concentrated, you know, protein shake. Uh, You know, it's coming at you. And I mean, there are subtle moments we're going to talk about because you have some Aquaman questions Mm -hmm. and there's some Martian Manhunter things I want to point out to really bring out, you know, some of the stuff that was left very, very subtextual just because there's no time. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, that's not what we're doing. Um, But all of the, but you basically get it. Like you understand that Aquaman is upset with the JLA, you don't understand every reason why, but you yeah. get the the friction. Mm-hmm. You get that the Manhunter is potentially alienated from humanity. Like, that's on the page. Yeah. It's no problem. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you some reasons that will fill that full of pathos uh-huh. for you. Maybe. Oh, I mean, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. but you don't need it, but it's mm-hmm. great if you have it. Right. And yeah, it's, it's just letting you do the work. There is no pre-chewing happening in JLA. So um, I would like to say, you know, like uh, absolutely pat myself on the back with no discomfort that I identified properly what is the cover <laughs> art this week. And I feel really proud of myself. See, this is the thing. It's not about never making mistakes. It's about learning from your mistakes. So now I've got yes. it. I've got it down. The next time we read something, I will screw it up again because that's my brand. But I got it down now. Um, so we have Superman <laughs> about to punch a blue bitch dead in the face. And you know what? Okay. She's clearly starting shit up. That said... Like, overall, in general, I am not a fan of anyone physically assaulting anyone at all, regardless of the gender dynamic. Um, But it's superheroes. They're all about getting punched in the face. That's what they all do. And that's what they all signed up for. So in this instance, I'm going to let that go. Um, There are red images of Green Lantern and Wonder Woman suffering from something. I don't know what. Doesn't look pleasant. Wrote this before I read the issue. So, like, afterwards, I I know what (laughs) it is, right? Um, And Soup is defending them, I guess. Um, We've got a cloudy sky and lightning in the background and i gotta tell you it's a dynamic cover it's got a lot of color work going on it's got a lot of kineticism going on um i dig it i dig it i think it's pretty cool yeah i i think this cover does a really good job of capturing the issue's vibe you know that (laughs) um not not only there's like multiple things going on all over the place but that it is largely going poorly (laughs) you know like Wonder Woman and Green Lantern do not look like they're doing well. Um, mm-hmm. Like like Wonder Woman is being shot with something that's making her bones visible cartoon style. Yeah. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Green Lantern's got stuff wrapped around his neck. Like if they're winning, it's going to hurt. <laughs> you know, right. it's, um, it's a Pyrrhic victory super- if there's victory involved in that at all. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Superman is there mm-hmm. still swinging, but it's also pretty clear it's 
at best a stalemate, yeah. right? Like he's not losing, but he's not winning. Like they're both in it. Um, and that's really, that's this issue, yeah. right? Like that's this issue right before the last couple pages when we're like, oh, right, they're hanging in there. Oh shit, no, they're not. Oh shit, you know? at the end, right, yeah. Because everything is so dire and then you see Superman and Batman coming in to save the day and fucking hell, that went south Oopsie, fast. no. Fast. Fast. Um, but yeah, like, I love this cover art. I think it does a great job. I have to say, like, I am getting to the point where I want comic book art, like, on my walls. I may even yeah. get a tattoo. I don't know if I, I told you, like, you and I have had conversations about tattoos a number of times. Uh, you have superhero tattoos. They look awesome. They're amazing. I do. Um, and your advice to me has always been just get the tattoo. But I'm always waffling. For years and years and years, I've been waffling about the perfect tattoo and the right <laughs> tattoo. And um, and But the one tattoo that I actually think I'm going to get is from the Sandman comic book, which is when Matthew gets the red balloon from Dream. Um, for anybody who is unfamiliar ah. with that, I do a Sandman podcast called Endless um, with Lisa Quitney, who's DC Comics editor, worked on the Sandman show. And we're also doing the Sandman TV show right now. Um, but uh, but anyway, so uh, that is the tattoo that I think I'm going to get. But now every time I look at this stuff, I'm like, I want this stuff on my walls. There is so much going on within the art that is doing this storytelling. You know, it's it's really fantastically done. And I think that it is such an incredible art form that you know that does so much at once um and i have such admiration for these artists so yeah i i thought it was really great the interior art um i love these scene shifts to each new hero little mini title cards that that made that scene their story so we have like a bunch of little parallel stories that are going on for two pages which is basically mm -hmm. i'm yes. gonna fuck some shit up oh shit and then they die right you know or then they get like seriously hurt <laughs> and then we move on to the next one so it's just like jla being taken down at every corner of the universe you know um and i think that like the action is just incredible the way that they're able to get that across um, I've never enjoyed action scenes in movies. They always bore me. But in comic books, I absolutely love it. Um, it's a different art style from Captain America. But there's that yes, same kind yeah. of magical kineticism that I really love on, of course, a larger scale dialed up to like 11,000. Yeah. I, I think it's worth. I'm going to try not to beat this horse forever, <gasps> but I think it's worth mentioning mm -hmm. how often we have talked about you not enjoying action yes. scenes. And I've said things like, I really think that you would appreciate them in some of the best comics. Mm -hmm. And I've said, I think you would appreciate them in like old school Shaw Brothers Kung Fu movies mm -hmm. because the fights are also telling the story. Yes. Like it's, it's still a conversation mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Like you're learning something about these people and how they, how they are because of how they fight or how they approach mm -hmm. the, the obstacle. Like you, you are learning things about them yeah. in the process. It's still storytelling and unfortunately, a lot of times in film, especially in superhero films, mm -hmm. let's be honest, it's more like, okay, pause the story. We're going to have a big set piece. Yeah. And I'm like, gang, you can do both at the same time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I never wanted to like super go hard and argue and be like, no, action scenes can be good. I just bided my time till I could show you. <laughs> I appreciate your patience, Joshua. I really feel like you have <laughs> you've exhibited patience on a grand scale because I like four or five years ago when we started uh, listening to A-holes, and here we are. Um, all right, so uh, what's your story response? How are you feeling about the the storytelling that we've got going on in this, uh, in this issue? Well, I really, because I feel like we're going to get more into the story bits with you having some questions yeah. to make sure that you're on point. Mm -hmm. But I have, I have kind of two big pieces that I want to point out yeah. that maybe not everyone would recognize. And one of them is, and I'm just going to say this, not necessarily that you should get it personally. Right. Mm -hmm. But if there are people who are fairly steeped mm -hmm. in a little bit of DC lore, who the Hyper Clan is, or at least a suggestion of who they might be, is a fair play mystery. Mm -hmm. The clues are here. Yeah. They are not like hitting you in the face. But I mentioned that there were some, you know, missing heroes at the beginning that were going to turn out to be a clue. Like there have been more of that going on. There is when you find out if you don't already know and you know a little bit about how the DC universe works, you'll be like, oh, of course. Mm -hmm. Like there is a fair play mystery aspect, which I find pretty hot. Yeah. So keep your eye on that. Mm -hmm. Right. The other one, and I think you're really going to vibe with this, is that 
one of the things that JLA does so well and uh, is these character moments, these character bits that don't stop what's going on, mm-hmm. but they really inform it, yeah. right? I've mentioned before that way later, towards the end of the run, there's a moment when Green Lantern and Flash run into each other. Uh-huh. And and uh, I can't remember who it is. I think it's Green Lantern who says, uh, it's like we always meet on the stairwell to the apocalypse, uh, you know? Yeah. And and it's, it's like that. Like, we don't stop the bigger thing. We just take a beat. Mm-hmm. To give texture to it yeah. with the little character stuff, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there's a conversation between Batman and Superman in this that I find really telling. Mm-hmm. There's a conversation between Manhunter and Protex that's really telling. Mm-hmm. The argument that immediately happens between royal egos with Aquaman and Wonder Woman uh-huh. is telling. Yeah. And it gives, like, and in the case of Wonder Woman and Aquaman, you literally have one of the villains commenting on it. That's what I love about you people. No discipline. Mm-hmm squabbling while we take you apart piece by piece mm-hmm. come on i mean it's like <laughs> these moments well and the way that they really do, matter they emotionally isolate john you know so you see them working on yes. him from the inside out right you know so they yeah. know where the weaknesses are and that's what they hit um which i think is really interesting so I, this is probably a moment because um, that I want to point out to you. I feel like there's Martian Manhunter things you didn't know to ask. I'm certain, right? yes. Mm-hmm. So, so you have a few outsiders or last survivors in the JLA anyway, right? Like I mentioned, it, this version of Green Lantern is the only Green Lantern when typically there have been right. hundreds, mm-hmm. if not thousands, in the in the galaxy, right? Um, Superman is more or less the last son of Krypton. Uh, uh, you know, Wonder Woman is very much a woman outside of culture in what she literally calls man's world, right? Mm-hmm. You have a lot of outsiders. Um, but it's difficult to pin one down as more outsidery than yeah. the Manhunter from Mars. Mm-hmm. So Jean was, uh, there was a, a scientist, Dr. Ertl, who was working on a gate that would be for like interplanetary travel. Mm-hmm. Like you step through it and you're in another planet, it's no problem. And he opened it up and accidentally pulled a Martian through. Uh-huh. And and then Ertl is so surprised he dies from a heart attack. <laughs> wow. And the gate, they can't make the gate work again. And so Jean is now tr- not is alone, yeah. like entirely alone, yeah. not just in the world because he's the only Martian, but also the only person who knows that he's there or what he might be mm-hmm. is dead mm-hmm. at his feet. Like he doesn't even have an emotional connection to that person. He left a family and a culture and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. behind. And eventually what you find out is that the gate not only went through distance, but also through time mm-hmm. because that's why there's no one on Mars now. Like he's, uh... he is the last remnant of a long dead civilization that he remembers. It's not a living one that he can go home to like Wonder Woman. Mm -hmm. It's not one that is sort of dimly recollected in the way that Superman as an adopted kid, Mm -hmm. you know, is aware of his biological Mm -hmm. heritage, but it doesn't, doesn't have a ton of connection to it. You know, Um, he's utterly alone. And this happened in the fifties, which was kind of between the big rounds of superhero stuff in the DC universe. And so he can't even go find super people to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And he basically gleans everything he needs from television and the fact that he's a telepath, but constantly. And imagine that he comes from a culture that's based on telepathic communication. Everybody's a telepath. And now he is alone oh my god there's no one who can speak to him in that way mm-hmm. and in fact when he tries it's often seen as an intrusion oh, get out yeah. of my head mm-hmm. right so when protex is saying you're very alone mm-hmm. you know and it's obvious you're the last of a dead world just like us mm-hmm. you know it hits for him in a way that it wouldn't hit for superman right. even though he's also the last of a dying world yeah. and it hits in a way that it wouldn't hit for green lantern who hasn't really reckoned with his heritage mm-hmm. as a lantern. You know, like it is when it, when you say it hits the, the softest point, it, it really does. And there's just a lot of pathos there mm-hmm. that is on the, on the page, yeah. but the, the depth of it, you may not have, mm-hmm. you know, without knowing a little bit more about right. Jean. Yeah. Which last thought there kind of circles back to the conversation between Batman and Superman mm-hmm. about him when Batman's like, he's the finest tactical mind I've ever met. And he has a better handle on group dynamics than anyone I've ever known. Mm-hmm. Are what? Are you kidding me? But and some of that is because he stands apart. Right. Right? Like mm-hmm. he he's not part of us, so he's able to see us more clearly yeah. in many ways. 
but it makes him alone. Yeah. He's an outsider in a way. He doesn't have a secret identity. He doesn't mm-hmm. have a family. He doesn't have people he goes home to. Even Batman has a family. <laughs> I mean, it's a family of crime fighters, but he has a family, you know. But it's something. Well, I mean, and there is, you know, often a sense of isolation with hero stories. I mean, if you think about Buffy, you know, one of the things about Buffy is she yes. is the chosen. She is the only one. She is always alone. JLA, you know, is a group of people who are all alone, you know? So, I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of it. But I think John, out of all of them, from based on, you know, what you just told me, I talk about it like I know what I'm talking about. I don't. Um, but John seems to be, based on that, like the most alone of all the aloners, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that has, I, I can't even imagine what that must be like, that even in, inside of, of a community of people who do have some idea of your experience, they have no idea of his experience. Um, yeah, and it's true. I think that's really super interesting. Um, and what's funny is that when you've talked to me about The Martian, I've always been really interested. Like there's that that vulnerability. Mm-hmm. It's those hits of vulnerability um, that in, you know, in like Cap, we were getting huge amounts of vulnerability going through Cap's internal experience, all of that. Um, yes. And then yes. we were, you know, moving through the action. But the the main stage play there was the vulnerability. And here we've yeah, got that's true. we've got the flip on that where it is it is this major galactic conflict. But these little hits of vulnerability that are so deep you know, um, mm-hmm. and so quick and so efficient. Like they, they deal with vulnerability in JLA the way that Brubaker did exposition in, uh, in Cap, <laughs> right? It yeah. was so incredibly efficient and pinpoint right to the point and then boom out, you know? Um, we're doing that with these little hits of vulnerability. And every time, like Green Lantern and John are probably the ones that I identify with the most. I mean, yeah. I like Batman, because Batman's sexy when he comes in, he's like enough of this shit, black cape flying. Let this is war. like this. I, I you know, I, I'm not gonna lie. I, I, I like a brooding guy with like the darkness, you know, like so that that to me is like Batman is specifically made to delight me. But um, but yeah, like overall, when we're talking about the vulnerability, the things that draw me into the stories as like a human reading stories, it's John and it's Green Lantern. So far, those are the hits mm-hmm. of vulnerability that we've really gotten. Mm-hmm. Um, so and I'm I'm curious about Aquaman and why he you know has no interest in JLA I just like that he has no interest in JLA I think it's kind of fun you know um but it comes down to this like you know here we are talking about this group of people all working together towards this end I mean that's a protagonist right you know um generally like so when you're asking yourself when you're looking at a story like you know you're analyzing a story like you think about who is the protagonist the protagonist is a main character who wants something and in pursuit of what they want they are you know pushing the story forward it's that escalation of that conflict Mm -hmm. right um so like generally JLA and Avengers type stories, we have what you call a group protagonist, where we have a bunch of people all with the same goal working against either one or a number of antagonists, right? All working toward the same goal. What is important is that there, there the goals, there's one goal that everybody's working toward, you know, and there's one like mm-hmm. goal that the antagonist is working toward. Whether there's more than one or not is really immaterial. Um, but a story aligns across that central narrative conflict of goal versus goal, right? Um, so we have a group protagonist, um, but as as Superman kind of seems to be the leader, I mean, he's the one who comes in in the beginning. He's the one who says, let's just talk with yes. these guys. Like, he's kind of running the show. Um, and also, he is the one who is pulled away at the end while all the others are, quote unquote, dead, which I don't believe for a minute. It really appears to be like, <laughs> like he is the main protagonist of the group, you know, but the group protagonist is all there. Um, So I'm interested in seeing, you know, where this goes as the battle kind of whittles down to like focus on him. He's all weakened. All these bad guys who took out JLA without breaking a sweat. Um, Of course, don't believe for a minute that they're all, you know, dead. They are quote unquote dead. Um, I am absolutely certain they're all Mm going to be fine. I'm absolutely certain that Batman has an eject button you know, on his high tech car. Right. Um, But at the end of this issue, you know, we have Superman alone. And again, it's that aloneness that brings out the vulnerability in these super characters. Yeah, I think uh, so. One thing to note, like Morrison loves Superman. Mm-hmm. Um, Morrison had a shamanic experience with a Superman cosplayer at San Diego <laughs> Comic Con one year. I like. I it's love a whole everything story. you just said. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it. I. Yeah, I could. I could do an entire episode just talking about 
what what they have said about that uh-huh. and what it means to have a shamanic experience yeah. and that it was wildly unplanned for like it just happened mm-hmm. and it just realigned a lot of things so morrison loves superman mm-hmm. uh there and in this case um I think that Superman makes a lot of sense for a viewpoint. We jump around a lot, but he he is the kind of most viewpoint. Yeah. You know, the mm-hmm. the the tip of the spear. And that makes a lot of in fiction sense because he really is the the most powerful, the pinnacle. Well, not always the most powerful, but the pinnacle mm-hmm. of the in-universe pantheon, you know, yeah. so to speak. Uh, metatextually, it's like he's in top two for publishing. Mm-hmm. It's u- usually Batman makes them more money, but Superman is just as or more recognizable. Right. Um, I remember reading something in the around the time that this came out that uh, Superman was the most recognizable brand in the world, uh-huh. like over McDonald's, over Nike, yeah, everybody over the American flag. <laughs> Superman was right, yeah. Um, and you'll remember in the first, like he's the one who first shows up, so he's the first. Of mm-hmm. this new batch of JLA that shows up yeah. and Metamorpho, the last of the old batch, is like, chill, the big guy's here. Yeah. Right? Like that, that kind of feeling. And so him being taken out and weakened gives us a sense of scale that the rest of the JLA being taken out of does right. help support, mm-hmm. but isn't on its own. It's yeah. He, and and it'll jump around a little bit, but you'll still see him very much in the main driver's seat mm-hmm. because uh, well, you'll see. You'll see why. Why it really works. But uh, one thing that occurred to me for the first time here, because I haven't thought as hard when I've read this about that group protagonist mm-hmm. dynamic, is that I feel like when, and I'm going to keep an eye on this to see how it progresses, but when we need a very sure hand, mm-hmm. like someone who is very much in charge of the situation, Batman, Superman, or Wonder Woman, someone like that is our narrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When we need somebody who is barely hanging on, <laughs> we flip to Green Lantern mm-hmm. often, right? Because he is the least experienced in the in this group. And later there will be an entire issue that is hung on someone even more inexperienced than Green Lantern. Oh, I love that. And so when mm-hmm. we when we need it tight, when we need to know everything is actually going to be fine in this scene, mm-hmm. we have one set of narrators right. for that, one set of main protagonists. When we need to be a little shakier and unsure, we have a different set of narrators as that mm-hmm. protagonist. Uh, that's pretty cool. I like that yeah. a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a thing a group protagonist can do that a single protagonist is, is harder right. to do. Mm-hmm. You know, because either they're competent and on top of it or they're not. Mm-hmm. You can't do them at the same time like you can with a group protagonist. Yeah, that's it's it's pretty cool, kind of seeing how all that works, um, and it's incredibly complex, um, which I'm really really loving. Like I'm loving the way that they they pop from one. Like every character has a different role. You know, you talk about the five man band, right? You know, where yeah, everybody yeah. has a different role that they play within like the five man band. This is like a, a fourteen man band. Like this is complex, you know. But I love it. I dig <laughs> it. Um, it's it's really really fun. I haven't even counted the number of heroes that are. In here. I'm just like I'm still eight fingers on a jet ski. Like I just <laughs> I don't know who all is in this. It's just like it's a lot. It's a lot of 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 heroes. They do a thing in this issue though to simplify things, yeah. which I think is very cool. But it's also really traditional. So I wanted to call it out. Is that literally since the JSA? So like since the 40s. Mm-hmm. The move was to create th- because these writers aren't stupid. They know that juggling seven people on a on a page yeah. in any one scene, like you got to do it. Everybody's got to come back together, mm-hmm. but you can't do that for the middle bit. Right. Like that's too much. Mm-hmm. So they, from almost Jump Street, created these threats that then could be split apart mm-hmm. so that it was like we got to come at it from a multi-pronged approach and they usually split into duos and trios mm-hmm. to deal with that and then you would get so remember like um old comics like when the JSA was around you would get multiple stories in the book well you'd get a JSA story and it was technically one story but the chapters were split up with different groups mm-hmm. so not only does it make it easier for the reader it also makes it easier for the writer and in this case it's super traditional at this point because they've literally been doing it for 50 years mm-hmm. and so when Jean says we do what we always do he means it <laughs> it is literally what they always do 
<laughs> yeah, and they always do it, but in every iteration, there's something in there that's engaging anyway. Like you know, it's the it's those yeah. small moments of of kind of the same thing that that make these stories something you can keep coming back to and keep doing interesting, innovative things with. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about like who's the protagonist when we talk about the antagonists. Um, we know it's the hyper clan, right? Um, and mm-hmm. we kind of know what they want. I mean, maybe I missed it, like to take over Earth, you know. Um, but I. That's what they want. Okay. But I don't really know why yet. Do we know why yet? Am I just missing that or? Next issue. Okay. Um, and like, what could Earth possibly mean to them? Uh, uh, although clearly they have history here. Like we did have that one scene yeah. with Protex, I think in the last issue where he was like, the last time we were here, you know, I, the, which, yeah. which what, from what I got from that was the last time we were here, this peach was not ripe enough, but now we're going to pull it. You know, like that's the sense that I get. <laughs> um, There's a bit of that. We'll come back to that after the big reveals why in the here, next issue. Why now? Those are big questions for an antagonist. So it's okay uh-huh. that they're not answered yet. Um, so Protex seems to be the, I, I, you know, like the opposite for Superman. Like he seems to be the leader yeah, yeah. of the, you know, of the hyper clan, which is an alien version of, of JLA pretending or pretending to be like the heroes that are going to come in and save the day, but yeah. clearly not yep. doing that. Um, so, so that's what I have in a sense for the antagonist. Like I understand Protex. Everybody else is like eight supervillains in a trench coat to me. Like, I don't know one from the other, you know? <laughs> no, I think, I think that that is somewhat purposeful, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like um, I've mentioned the nineties were a rough time. Mm-hmm for the quality of superhero comics uh, and a rough time for me as a, as a reader. Mm -hmm. And so what I, what I appreciate about the hyper clan is that you really kind of get a vibe from each one of them at a glance, but you don't get the details and you don't really need them. Mm -hmm. Right. Like um, not to be too spoilery. I don't think that it's that big a deal. We're not going to hear from them again. They're not ones that like reoccur in the way that like the serpent society would be for cap or, uh, you know, any of Batman's rogues that just, you know, keep coming back. So what they needed to do was obviously be a very cool, mm-hmm. but also obviously knockoff JLA. Like there's a real part of this where they're like the knockoff foreign toy version mm-hmm. of the JLA right down to the names. Like Protex, Zenturian. This fast guy is named Zoom, but it's got an umlaut for fuck's sake. Come on. <laughs> Like, the names do matter, but they don't matter a lot. They are supposed to be kind of homogenous. We need to keep an eye on Protex. And this is a JLA story we'll get to, Mm -hmm. but Morrison actually plays with a version of Superman that is pure gold, Mm -hmm. head to toe, just like Protex. I mean, I told you there's a lot of stuff in here that rhymes over time. Mm -hmm. And the fact that Protex is kind of like the hyper clan Superman, so let's keep our eye on him and the rest of them are just there to beat the piss Mm -hmm. out of the rest of the JLA. Accurate. You know, like you could see that as a bug, but I think in this case, it's actually a feature. There's so much going on. We don't need to get to know them. Who gives a shit? Right. Protex will do. Mm -hmm. You know, I like it. I like it. Well, yeah, I'm happy to sit back and kind of let that unfold. Um, Also (laughs) unfolding is the structure of this story. Um, What I'm seeing is that like I see that we've got four issues. So we are telling this story running like I get it. Um, Act one, you know, is when your conflict is established and the protagonists commit. Right. And I feel like we did that in the first issue them right Mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. feels like act two the conflict escalates and holy hell does it escalate jla is not here to fuck around um you end on like a no way out but through moment superman being dragged off while everyone else is quote-unquote dead um and like i said i anticipate a dark moment in the next issue um and then victory in issue four which is a basic like kind of like a four act structure um again i don't want to know like if i'm right But this is what I'm seeing right now as like, you know, looking at the storytelling structure of this. And, you know, the thing is, structure in stories can work out and shake out a number of different ways. But I am seeing kind of this classic structure happening. And I dig it. Mm -hmm, I like it. I mm -hmm. think it's it's working for me. I don't I I don't want to say too much, especially till we get to the third issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, But but you're definitely on to something. But going back to that group protagonist idea, you're actually able to have sort of multiple parts of that structure happening simultaneously that wouldn't normally be happening simultaneously. So it's like the double Dutch, like jump rope game. (laughs) 
Yes. Of comics. Yes. I get it. I get it. And I, yes. you know, and I dig it. Like, I'm into it. Like, I like that there's all this stuff happening at once. This is like an intense, you know, like consomme of of stories coming in. Like, they're all boiled down, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I like it. And I'm, I'm really interested. Like, you know, the thing is, like, Morrison right now, again, like, Brubaker got my respect, got my, re- my trust early. And so now when I have these questions, when I'm not really sure, I feel secure that it's going to resolve in a way that is narratively satisfying. So like, I'm not worried about it. I'm on this ride. I'm having a great time. You know, I trust these storytellers, uh, which is really a fun place to be that quickly. It's, it takes the storyteller a little while to earn my trust. But when I see them jumping out of the gate with like Simone Biles level acrobatics, I'm like, all right, I'm in, I'm in (laughs) wherever you take me. I'm in. I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, overall, like, I, I really like the stuff that's going on here. The little, there's a couple of little moments that stood out to me. I love that Flash is reading Runner's World, and I'm like, shouldn't Runner's World be reading Flash? <laughs> like, that feels, yes. that yes. feels like a little bit, you know, like a little bit low level for what he does. Like, once again, <laughs> once again, isolated by your extreme level of skill. Like, who is going to make a magazine for somebody like Flash that's going to be relevant? So he has to read Runner's World. <laughs> Okay, so I actually this is a really interesting take from you. Um, and I want what I like to think about mm-hmm. my own little like fill this in is that yeah, obviously, flashes. I mean, it's right there on every the cover of every one of his books. The fastest <laughs> the man fastest alive, man right? Alive. Mm-hmm. But he can still like learn something about running. It's just he's operating at this higher level, and it reminds me of a moment in uh, in a She Hulk run where. She-Hulk realizes that if she works out as Jennifer, Mm -hmm. those physical changes in her human form are exponential in her She-Hulk form. So she like changes back to Jennifer and goes to the gym, like does a Rocky style montage of getting stronger so that when she hulks out, she's that much more powerful. And it makes me think of that. Like we're still like fine tuning my running Right. You know, technique Still as the flash to squeeze just a little more speed out <laughs> of it. Never yeah. at rest, yeah. right? You know, I love that. Um, Quite literally, yeah. never, never at rest, at always rest. in motion. Always in motion, right? <laughs> um, and also, like I mentioned this a little bit before, we didn't spend too much time on it. I, I love Aquaman. Don't understand any of the history there. Like, but he and Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman being like, hey, could use a little help here. And he's like, I am not interested in your bullshit. <laughs> Like I have my own, I have my own place, you know, I will be under the water, not dealing with whatever the hell you guys have going on because I'm not interested. Um, You know, didn't you hear the Justice League alarm? I heard it. I ignored it. Like, I got to (laughs) say, I got a little turned on when he said, I was like, all right, tell me more. You know, Aquaman, what's going on? I've never been interested in Aquaman ever, even remotely until this moment. Now I'm like, okay. You know, like that's I, I like the attitude that we're getting there. So that was really, really fun. Um, and then, OK, there's a there's a question that I have, too. There's a, and this may be just something again, like because I don't have the history or I didn't understand. Um, but there's this moment where Wonder Woman says, Arthur, what? Right before she gets hit. And I'm like, who's who's Arthur? Like, I don't know who that is. OK, that's Aquaman. That's Aquaman. Okay. So so I give you a little Aquaman fun. Right. right. So mm-hmm. Aquaman is half human and half Atlantean. Okay. His dad was a human being, his mom was an Atlantean princess. Okay. And uh and his surface dweller name is Arthur Curry okay. and his Atlantean name is Orin. Okay. So he's like prince and now king Orin, but you know, his birth certificate says Arthur Curry, like his American birth so certificate. So of course once right? again dual and identity, yes. Mhm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, in fact, multiple in a way, you know, in a way, because uh-huh. like he's a, he doesn't fit in in either space. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. But also take note, he's King Arthur. Oh. And that's not an accident okay. because he grows up royal, but in seclusion. Right. Like living. His oh, dad okay. is a lighthouse keeper. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. That's, you know, so again, right there, a liminal space. Uh-huh. He lives in between the surface world sure. and, the, and the depths, yeah. right? So he is Arthur. 
And they go hard for that King Arthur of the Sea thing. Particularly, I want to recommend a series called Aquaman Sword of Atlantis. Like, they go hard uh for the King Arthur shit. Like, to the point where they give him a Lancelot figure, except that it's a Lancelot figure that actually calls back more to the pre-Christian. It calls... The the Lancelot figure they give him is much more like Lou of the Long Arm Mm -hmm. than it is like Lancelot Duloc. Uh I have a million more words I could say about that. (laughs) but I'll just let it ride because Arthurian legend is great. Yes. But you're saying you don't you don't have a lot of interest in him. And I think that there is a sort of pop cultural joke to be had about like, what good is Aquaman? Uh-huh. He talks to fish. <laughs> Chief, if you don't find King Arthur of a dark and dangerous fairy realm that's actually 70% of the world and goes leagues and leagues down as well as across, if you don't find that interesting, that's a lot more about you than the character, friends. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Like, all I knew... That's not you. Right. I'm talking to the world. No, but seriously, like, yeah. all I knew about Aquaman is that he, like, was in the water and he had, like, a trident. Like, that was, you know, basically, like, I had no... He doesn't even usually have a he trident. He doesn't have a trident. I feel like that's an image that I've seen. No, but, now and then. Yeah, now and okay. then. Definitely. Um, yes. And so like I didn't know any of this, but in just that explanation, I'm into it. I'm like, yeah, give me some Aquaman. Like yeah. that would be really interesting. Yeah. I think there would be a lot of stuff that could be a, like a fairy realm under the sea. Give it to me. I love it. I love it. And now I want mm-hmm. Guillermo del Toro to do that version. Like, right? Oh, man, that would be good. Although if you say Shape of Water, you got some of that. But I mean, yeah, there's some really fabulous, fabulous opportunities in that. So, yeah, that that's... It's, it's good stuff. And I really, he had, Aquaman himself had a very tumultuous 90s. Mm-hmm. Like you can see he's got, he's lost an arm. He's got a hook for a hand. You know, we've got a very like long hair, beard, Conan mm-hmm. kind of vibe instead of the usually much more clean shaven, close cropped yeah. orange, you know, scale top that you would get. This is a much more like bare chested, you know, sort of a barbarian king of the sea vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, normally the, I heard the alarm and I ignored it would be a Batman thing. Uh-huh. But I really love that it shifted immediately to Aquaman because Batman's like, uh, you guys are a bunch of amateurs. And if I'm not there, the world is going to end. <laughs> so instead we get that from the guy who's like, I am king of 70% of the earth. I don't have time for your bullshit. <laughs> and that Wonder Woman's immediate response is, uh, did you think they'd stop at the water's edge? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think it's not for nothing. They're both royals. Yeah. Like, she is a literal princess. She is in line of secession on a throne, mm-hmm. and he is sitting on a throne. And what do you know? A bunch of royal assholes don't get along. <gasps> <gasps> Pretends to be shocked. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, we also have this moment again that I d- didn't follow everything. It's killing that Daxamite priest out by the Krypton Gulf was harder than this. And he was a pacifist, which I thought was a funny line. But I'm like, don't yes. know what Daxamite is. Like Krypton Gulf, like that's, I mean, okay. Where Krypton was. Right, right. Yeah. So, so like comparing how easy it is. To take down the JLA compared to elsewhere, I think is really, really fun. I, you know, like again, you pick it up from context clues. Like it's just a funny line, and I appreciated it from our our bad guys. I thought that was fun, like mocking how easy it is to take apart, you know, the people who've been saving the planet for like a really long time now. It's just, it's very fun. Okay, I really want to talk about Daxamites just a little okay, bit yes. because the context of that, like, it totally works. Mm-hmm. This is what I'm talking well, about. How it totally works. About you got it. it. It's a great line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you got it and you knew what it was doing in this story. And if you know a little bit about Daxamites, it makes it even better. Mm -hmm. Because uh, Daxam is a very xenophobic or at least inward looking planet. They don't leave it very often. Mm -hmm. But when they do, they are um, just as powerful as Kryptonians under a yellow Mm -hmm. sun. So when a a Daxamite would off the cuff just right away as soon as they're any on a planet with a yellow sun would be as strong as Superman. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the fact that this one was away from Daxum means that he was on his own merits what we would think of as like Kryptonian levels of power. That's a Daxamite. Uh-huh. And the the thing that kind of keeps them chill is that in much the same way that Kryptonite works on um on Superman, lead Mm-hmm. will do that to Daxamites. There is no lead on their planet. They're deathly allergic mm-hmm. to it. There's actually a character who is a Daxamite and is vitally important to the Legion of Superheroes, which is like a club of teenagers a thousand years in the future that were inspired by like Superboy and the JLA. Mm-hmm. And Monel is that character and he's a Daxamite and he's and it's him and Superboy. <laughs> like it's like, hey, we need some ass to be kicked. Mm-hmm. What do we do? And it's like, well, send 
send Monel and Superboy. <laughs> like they got it. And so the idea that they were like the pacifist but intensely mm-hmm. ridiculously powerful person was harder than this. Yeah, it's just yeah, just like. Tell me more about Daxamites. Very, very fun. I appreciate that. Um, and then, of course, we end on like this great line. There's only you and us and a whole world on its knees. Like, hell yeah, that's a villain line. I dig it. Nothing to add. No notes. No notes. <laughs> it's that's when I talked about Crossbones and his approach to things, elevating him from thug to like costumed criminal, like to low level supervillain. It's really that kind of commitment to the bit. Yeah. You know, like, is that a ridiculous line? Absolutely. It's the purplest thing in Purple Town. <laughs> but in this moment and in this scale and with this genre, it's like, why would you do anything else? Right. Exactly. You, know? you, you don't write superhero comics to pull your fucking punches, right? To be self-conscious <laughs> and moderated in anything that you do. If you're going to dial it to 11,000, fucking commit. And I feel like that does it mm-hmm. and actually fits really nicely within the overall, you know, exaggerated aesthetic of the whole thing. I think it's great. And from Protex especially, because he's clearly like an egocentric douchebag. Oh, he's loving Like on top of everything else. Yeah. Yeah, He's just like more of this, which again, um, I feel is a really strong sort of opposite number from Superman thing. Like Superman is a symbol and he knows it and we're actually going to deal with that some as JLA goes Mm -hmm. on, but he doesn't like it. It's not a comfortable space to him um the next arc he'll say something like i just always worry that i'm not going to live up to the legend (laughs) of himself you know whereas protex is like more adoration (laughs) clap harder it's fine yeah let me mug for this camera (laughs) well protex is is a guy who is soaking in a warm bath of his own narrative until he gets super pruney and you know what i'm here for it like i dig it i like it (laughs) (laughs) yes 100 percent All right, Lonnie. So um, my favorite page of art is very adjacent to your favorite part of story. So I hope I don't steal too much of your thunder, but it's really just the last page. Okay. Mm -hmm. So final page in the foreground is the wreckage of the Batwing, Mm -hmm. right? Just utterly destroyed. So Batman is missing, vehicle wrecked, presumed dead. (laughs) You know, Superman is dragged away by his cape. Mm -hmm. Like there's literally a song that talks about not tugging on Superman's cape. And Protex is like, whatever, bitch, let's go. (laughs) You know, they are in front of their huge ornate headquarters. Like it is HyperClan Mm -hmm. perfectly ascendant. It's it's really the trouble that Earth is in in one image, yeah. and it's what ends the book. It's beautiful. <laughs> I love it very much. It is very, very cool. And it's a great page. Like, visually, it's a great page. Now, I think maybe we'll talk a little bit more about that whole thing when we get to your favorite part of story. So uh, tell me, what's your favorite art in this issue? Oh, God. When the evil guy is monologuing and Wonder Woman comes and hits him like dead in the face and bounces him across the surface of the ocean like a skipping stone. I really appreciated that. That was very fun to see. What do you think about that? He asks, (laughs) to which she answers, boom, I think you underestimate us. I love it. I love all of that. Chills. Um, and it's nice because so we're good. seeing we're seeing JLA get like fairly well dumped on. And that can make you, especially for somebody new to it, kind of question mm-hmm. their competence and ability. So I like that we have a moment of extreme competence and ability. And yet still, you know, and yet still we're still taking them down. I think that that's nice. And it's the vulnerability yep. that you like that does it. Mm-hmm. Like it's two egos cracking off one another. Mm-hmm. They're just as busy trying to win their rhetorical point as they are trying to win the fist fight. Yeah. And let me tell you, that's no way to win a fist fight. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So what's your favorite part of the story? So I telegraphed this and it's actually multiple little parts mm-hmm. that kind of string together, but it's those brief bits of character interaction. Mm-hmm. Like I love the fights. I love the technicolor madness, but those grounding moments are delightful, yeah. first of all, illuminating, and they really give texture. Even though it's the world that's in danger, mm-hmm. seeing these little moments of humanity, mm-hmm. for lack of a better phrase, just give the bigger stuff a, the weight that they might. They're not tethered to anything else. Yeah. We are only in the JLA's, but we are here about other people, mm-hmm. but we only are in this from the JLA's perspective. And so those moments really tether 
the big wild stuff that might otherwise just float away <laughs> into the ether of being big and wild. So it's all of those. And we've kind of talked about them, so I don't need to go in super deep detail, but I love that stuff very much. Uh, actually, there's one that I'll call out yes. because we didn't really talk about it. I love the Superman and Batman conversation. Oh, yeah. That Superman's like, I don't think you really like working with us. Mm -hmm. And that Batman's immediate response is, I don't have invulnerability. I don't move at super speed. And I can't afford to work with brightly garbed amateurs who do. <laughs> Present company accepted. Come on. <laughs> I love it. I love all the family. It feels like family conflict. And I know that you've talked about them as like not being a family that way, but that they are co-workers who come together. But there is kind of, I mean, that's why, you know, so many of our like sitcoms are like workplace sitcoms, because there is a sense of yeah. family in the workplace. Like you do have this, um, this kind of like trying to work together as a unit, sometimes with people who are like Dwight Schrute, you know, like sometimes it can be a little bit much, right? Um, and so you're you're sort of, it's, it's like there's the family that you're born with, there's the family that you choose, and then there's like the workplace family, which you had nothing to do with and you just got to deal with it, you know? Um, and so I feel like there is some of that element here. Like there is a family vibe to all of these people, although it is definitely a professional family. You're catching that particularly with that mm -hmm. pair, I think, because they are actually mm -hmm. very good friends yeah. outside of the JLA. Mm -hmm. Like Batman tells Superman that Superman is his best friend and then looks over Superman's shoulder at Robin and goes, <laughs> nah, -uh. <laughs> right? Like it's so close. Like it's so close yeah. between, I should say Nightwing probably, like his first Robin mm -hmm. who's all grown up. Yeah. Like he's, you know, like, uh, it's it's that level of they really are very good friends outside of the thing, which is why it's present company accepted. Mm -hmm. I not only your power level, but you know what you're doing. And I know you know what you're doing because we work together on the reg. So, I, yeah, you're right. It's a workplace drama. But then there are like multiple mm -hmm. levels of that. Sometimes you do wind up working with your best friend yeah. or your sibling. Mm -hmm. And it's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk shit on our other co-workers <laughs> because we have a different connection, mm -hmm. you know. So, Lonnie, what's your favorite part of the story? Uh, yeah, it's like, you know, we've, we've of course, telegraphed this, but it's Superman getting dragged off at the end. Like, it's a wonderful mm -hmm. escalation. There's the anticipation of a dark moment. Um, I, you know, you see him suffering under the kryptonite. His The words in his speech bubbles get smaller and weaker. It's yes. a really wonderful moment of deep vulnerability. And I've actually talked, like, when I talk about vulnerability, um, you know, I talk about uh, like you know, in in like my classes and stuff, I, I ask like, is is kryptonite a a vulnerability for Superman? And like, uh, uh, technically, no, right? You know, technically, it is no, a weakness, no. right? It is a weakness. Yes. However, when kryptonite is utilized, and this person who is super is suddenly unable to do the job that he came there to do, that does speak yes. to a personal vulnerability. So it's sort of a neat way of isolating the difference between weakness and vulnerability, and yet using weakness to kind of expose vulnerability. And I think that that was done yes. very nicely yes. here. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I say a lot of times that the people who say Superman is hard to write mm -hmm. is like, well, don't make his problem lifting heavy shit. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, may, like it's it's will I be able to lift heavy shit in time to save these lives mm -hmm. or in time to get home to Ma or in time to save Lois or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, um, yeah. And in that moment, yeah, it's a weakness. But the vulnerability is he's terrified he's going to fail Earth, yeah. let alone his close colleagues in the Justice League, he's worried he'll fail Earth. And we'll see that more uh, in his point of view in coming issues as well. Speaking of that, what's coming up next week? Well, we'll be back next week with JLA Volume 1, Issue Number 3, War of the Worlds, in which the JLA starts to turn the tide right about the time they realize the problem is literally 70 times bigger than they realized. <laughs> How is there room for it to be 70 times bigger? I don't understand this well. Thanks for listening to In the Gutter with Joshua Anru and Lonnie Diane Rich. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider talking about it with your friends, leaving a review somewhere, or supporting Chipperish Media, patreon.com slash chipperish. <laughs>